This is Mariana Llanos. This is Chapter 31 of the Oki Bookcast. To the red country and part of the gray country of Oklahoma, the last rains came gently, and they did not cut the scarred earth. In an old house in Paris that was covered with vines, with twelve little girls and two straight lines. In the light of the moon, a little egg lay on a leaf. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Welcome to Chapter 31 of the Okie Bookcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm committed to connecting curious readers like you with your next great read by introducing you to Oklahoma stories and authors. Before I get to my conversation with Mariana Lanos, a quick reminder to take a minute and subscribe to the Bookcast newsletter. Head over to okiebookcast.com slash subscribe to get monthly book recommendations and more sent straight to your inbox, and be among the first to get new episodes of the Bookcast when they release. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest, Mariana Lanos. Mariana is a Peruvian-born writer of children's books who's lived in Oklahoma since 2002 and started her publishing career in 2013 with her book, Tristan Wolf. She's the author of 12 published books, the latest of which, Run Little Chasky, an Inca Trail Adventure, won the 2022 Oklahoma Book Award in the children's books category. She also recently released an audio story titled Coratica and the Three Alpacas, produced by Sony Music Entertainment. Her upcoming work includes Benita and the Night Creatures and Vampirita, both titles set to release in 2023. In our conversation, we talk about Mariana's stories, her emphasis on representing her Peruvian culture in her work, and the process of putting together children's books. She also has some great thoughts on representation in children's literature from a child's perspective. I think you're going to enjoy this delightful conversation with children's author Mariana Lanos. Mariana, I am so excited to talk to you. I love children's authors. I love children's books. So this is a real treat for me to get to sit down with you today. Well, I'm very happy to be here, too. I love talking about books and writing. This is the perfect spot for it. want to start with just your story. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, what got you interested in writing for kids. Well, I'm a writer since I'm a little child. And I, I, I realized I write for children since I was a child. So I think that part of me never grew up. <laughs> and um, I'm a kid at heart, and uh, and I still maintain that person there that wants to tell her own stories. I am from Lima, Peru. Uh, Lima is the capital of, of Peru, and I was born there and uh, raised there. Uh, I moved here to Oklahoma after I got married, and I had my children here, so I made a life here. It's been almost 21 years in the in, in Oklahoma, actually. And we moved to Oklahoma because of my ex-husband's work. So, um, you know, and I'm still here. <laughs> I've always said someday I'll move closer to the ocean because that's something that I really, really, really miss. But um, I keep on being in Oklahoma because, well, my children are, are from here. This is their home. And, and I love Oklahoma, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not a lot of ocean side property here. We've got some big lakes, but it's just not quite the same. That is not quite the same. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you recently won the Oklahoma Book Award uh, in 2022 for Run Little Chasky, which is uh, your latest children's book. Tell us a little bit about that one. Well, that was a moment that I didn't expect, really. Um, <laughs> I, well, I knew I was nominated, but I wasn't expecting to win because what is a little Chasky going to do? You know, winning in Oklahoma, <laughs> right? So, you know, so much Peruvian culture. So I wasn't expecting it. And when they called my name, it was really a moment that I, you know, it made me really emotional and very, very sure. proud considering all that I've been through, you know, an immigrant here in Oklahoma, writing in a second language. And so it was a moment to honor all of those people who are ESL, like me and all of those yeah. children who are ESL as well. And 
sometimes maybe think, okay, I will never be able to get English right. And, you know, so, and I have an accent, you know, and, and all of that. And sometimes I don't get propositions right. Most of the time I don't get them right. <laughs> I don't know when to use on, in, at. It doesn't matter. I can still get stories out. So uh, it was a very, very proud moment for me. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yes. Um, well, Run Little Chasky is a, is a story set in the Inca times. So it's uh, set in, you know, during uh, the time of the Inca in the Tahuantinsuyu, which is the name of the Inca Empire. It has some words in Quechua. Some the genre will be considered historical fiction because it is um, it is a fictional tale. But all of um, I mean the Inca and the and the Inca Trail and the mission of the Chasqui and all of those are elements that did exist within the culture. So um, it is a nice way to introduce children and, frankly, many, many adults about cultures of South America, especially about the Inca, Inca Empire. It was the largest empire in the whole continent. And I'm mm. talking about the three Americas, right? So, you right. know, so um, it, it is a very important culture that many people don't know about. Well, little Chasky is uh, this boy who is going to start his first day at work. And it is very, very concerned that he's not going to be able to do it because his grand grandfather was a Chasky. His bro- older brother is a Chasky. His father is a Chasky. So he wants to do it well. And um, now the problem that Chasky has is that he is very kind. So uh, when he is going to deliver this message, he has to deliver it before the sun sets. He um, He's not supposed to be distracted, but his <laughs> big heart distracts him all the time because there are some animals that he has to help along the way. So that that's the story. And, and, and you know, along this um, journey, we also find, you know, not only animals that are originary from the region, but also um, words in Quechua and some, um, you know, some elements that I wanted them to be authentic. Yeah. There's also a song that you've released that goes along with us. Tell us how that came about. Well, yes, this was such a fun project, uh, doing the song. It was, um, I have a friend in Peru. His name is Andres Parodi and he's a musician. So he helped me with the song because I am not a musician. You know, I can write, but I do not, I cannot come up with a melody. So I asked him to, to write a song from, for my book and he did it. So he wrote the song in, in Spanish first. And my daughter, who is, she's, um, at the moment she was 10, but you know, she sings and she was very little. She sings the song with him. We went to oh, Peru, we recorded the song. Yes, yes, it was, it was an amazing project. And, um, and now we've also released the song in English. So, you know, so we have both versions and it is super fun to be able to share this song with children so they can not only read the book, but have something, you know, to dance and just to get them excited in general. That's so fun. And I'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes so that folks can go and, and listen to the song as they're they're also reading along with the book. Now, Renal Chasky is your latest book. You've written a lot of others. Tell us about some of those. Well, um, Little Chasky is my latest book, but my latest work that is not a book, but it's an audio story. It is called uh, Coritica and the Three Alpacas. And it is a um, it came out in the form of a podcast. So I was um, tapped by Sony Entertainment and they were making a podcast for Pampers. It is called Tiny Tales from Pampers. And uh, they asked me to write a story, um, you know, with a Latinx flavor. You know, they wanted something Latino, some, uh, some Latino culture. So I, um, so I wrote this one, you know, that is, uh, like I said, this Coritica and the Tri Alpacas is set in Cusco in modern times. And um, also my friend who wrote the music for Chasky, he 
he composed the music for this story That's as well. Great. So, so it is a, a, a fun story, but also has original Andean music, you know, which is great. So, um, and I am super proud of this project. It's very, very, very fun. My daughter sang some of the songs as well. You know, cool. whenever you hear that podcast, you'll see. So it's, it's very, um, it's very exciting. And then I have uh, some more books releasing next year, actually. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm busy right now at work with those, you know, with all the revisions and you have to look at the art and you have to see that, you know, because once you write the stories, it's not ready. You know, you have to go through revisions and revisions and more revisions. Sure. It's never ending. When you think about all of the work that you've done, the books, the audio stories, some of the other things that you work on for kids, are there particular themes that you try to, uh, to connect all the way through those or is each book kind of a standalone project? Well, I think... Lately, especially my latest, maybe my last five books or so, my Peruvianness is, is kind of transpiring. <laughs> you say, I, I love making up new words. So the, my Perfect. Peruvianness is transpiring through through all these books. Like I've given myself permission to mm. um, to be, you know, more Latina, more Peruvian, to be an immigrant too. And at the beginning of my work, I think I felt like I was trying to fit in. Um you know, because, and I think that's normal. You're trying to find your path and who you are and your voice, sure. right? So, um, and for me, it came in, you know, my last work, you know, that I realized, okay, this is, this is who I am and I am not going to apologize for yeah, what yeah. I like, right? So sometimes in my books, you'll find some Spanish, you know, in the middle of some words in Spanish because that's how that's more authentic to me um you know but always in context and to help the reader obviously understand it's, it's not about alienating other readers but it is about integrating right so so you can see through my brain too because i can speak into <laughs> languages my kid my kids can speak into languages and understand in context whatever they don't know so you know, i've been incorporated incorporating some more of that and also, um, exploring some more Quechua and some more native culture of Peru. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I, bottom line is I've given myself permission to be who I am. You know, there's, there's been such a conversation about inclusivity and diversity, especially within children's literature, because so much of it for so long was kind of one note, right? It, everybody mm -hmm. kind of looked the same. What's the reaction been as you've made that shift from, as you said, trying to fit in to expressing more of your Peruvian culture? Well, the reaction usually from children is like, I mean, they they have no reaction. They just absorb it. Yeah. You know, they, they love it and they absorb it. And there's no difference. When I see the reaction is usually in grownups hmm. and, um, you know, which is kind of you know, mind-blowing. I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to think of that, but um, it's happened to me with books. Some of my books are bilingual, and this is an, an example. For uh, This girl coming to my table, and she was going to pick up a bilingual book, and I think it was her grandmother with her. She told her, no, honey, that's bilingual, and she put it down. I mean, yeah. bilingual, it has the two languages. You know, you can read either one, you know. You don't, you don't have to be bilingual to read a bilingual book, you know, so... Yeah. So, but I think kids don't see that, you know, they're more um, open, more open-minded. When I go to schools and I speak, like I said, with my big accent and sometimes some words that I say wrongly, the kids don't care, you know, they <laughs> <laughs> usually don't care. And sometimes they ask me, where are you from? You know, because they, they want to see, they're very curious. And I love the fact that I can represent uh, someone with a Latino background, especially Peruvian. 
Well, and it's such an incredible way to expose kids to cultures, like you said, that they wouldn't know about otherwise. I mean, we don't talk about a lot of Incan history in second or third grade, but they can hear about it and read about it, learn about it uh, through a story that they're engrossed in because because the story's fun, because the images are fun. Uh, and then in the midst of that, they're also finding out about cultures and worlds that they they didn't get a chance to know about before. So I love the opportunity that this explosion of more inclusive and culturally aware children's writing has uh, has fostered. It makes the kids smarter, you know, so yeah. and it's an opportunity to show them the map and to open up the, the doors of the world, you know, yeah. to see, oh, okay, there's not only Oklahoma or not only the United <laughs> States, there are more countries and there are countries other than Mexico that's speaking Spanish as well, you know, so that opportunity just to open doors is not more than that, you know, it's not about indoctrinating or yeah. strange stuff, but it is basically making them smarter about the world that they live in. Yeah, I love that. Now, you mentioned you're bilingual, uh, you, you, your books are bilingual, and often you release an English version and a Spanish version. I'm I'm really interested in what the writing process of something like that looks like. Do you write in Spanish and translate to English? Do you write in English and translate to Spanish? Or are you thinking about both at the same time? No, I write in English. I write in English and I think in English when I'm writing in English. Um, and the reason is my agent is not bilingual, you know. And, gotcha. and even if my agent was bilingual, the editors, I mean, the publishing industry is not bilingual yet you know right. so sure. so yeah so to reach those editors and to reach the publishing um, professionals it has to be in English still then I usually I'm in charge of translating my own work so I rewrite my my books in in, in Spanish and when I'm rewriting in Spanish I think in Spanish I try to think in Spanish and not to translate um Literally, but, you know, take my time to say what I want to say. I mean, the same thing, obviously, sure. but you know, to say it um, in a more authentic way in Spanish. So when you're writing in English, are you, is that in the back of your mind that how is this going to flow in Spanish or do you do one and then separate into the next one? Lately, it's been more in my mind than how is this going to translate in Spanish. Before, it wasn't too much, and that was a mistake because then <laughs> be like, "Oops, you know, how do I move this into Spanish?" And um, but nowadays, it is yeah. I I, I consider um, the Spanish edition always. I'm always thinking, okay, this has to have a Spanish edition. So yeah, but yeah. this usually, you know, just about. Well, the problem is, is that Spanish has way more words. We use more words in Spanish <laughs> yeah. than in English. You know, in English, it's always very catchy. You know, the very, very, you know, short phrases and catchy phrases. And it's not always the same in Spanish. So that's mm. something that, you know, I keep in mind. But, you know, I, I want to be truthful to to what I'm thinking, I'm feeling at the moment in whatever language I'm writing. Yeah. You also do a lot of work to support other uh, Latino authors. And so I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that work and specifically the Latinx Pitch Project that you work on. Latinx Pitch started um, as an event on Twitter in uh, three years ago. So this year was our third time hosting it. And it is basically a Twitter, Twitter pitch event for writers and illustrators of Latinx origin. And uh, it can be a person like me, like an immigrant born in a Latin American country, or it can be a Latino person from the U.S. who has been here for many generations. Mm. So, um, but the thing is that we identify as Latino, right? So, um, and it is, um, our main goal is to boost representation of Latinx 
uh, creators in the publishing industry with the ultimate goal <laughs> to have children see themselves reflected and our many, many, many stories in literature because we are not a monolith. So um, it, it is a group of, uh, right now we are 12 um, co-founders. So it's several of us who are behind this event. And um, it's very simple. We have a little Twitter chat between us and we share a lot of stuff. And then uh, once we're getting closer to our date, that is uh, the first day of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, we get together to see what activities we're going to do and we reach out to our own agents and editors because we are people who are already in publishing for a while. So, sure. you know, we know people who are connected. So we're trying to create those connections for other um, people who have, you know, who want to be um, in the publishing industry. So it's been super rewarding. We've had a lot of success stories. There are a lot of people who have connected with editors and agents because of our event. The kid-lit industry in general, the children's uh publishing industry in general is very, very generous. Hmm. Um, if you are on Twitter and you see maybe the YA industry, sometimes they fight over this and that and the canceling <laughs> culture. And, you know, there are a lot of, also in adult literature, a lot of canceling culture. But I don't see that in the, in the children's industry. Cool. It's actually very generous. And people are always um, uh, extending a hand to pull others um, to them. So, um, the kindness there, it's, it's really amazing. And I've not only with the Latino community, you know, but in general, you know, between all of us, you know, we're very, very close and very generous and I'm proud of belong, of belonging to that community. I love that. And I, I've seen that as well as just looking across the different cultures and genres that exist in, uh, in the Twitter space and other social media. Uh, it does seem like this kid literature group is their cheerleaders for each other. It's very, you know, excited about the next person to come along and, and always bringing people in. So that's a that's a lot more fun to be a part of than some of those other communities that might exist out there. If, uh, if a Latino author is listening right now and they wanted to connect with uh, that project, how might they do that? Well, they can just go on Twitter and search for Latinx Pitch and they can follow us. And we are there just basically making connections. We don't, I mean, we don't publish books because sometimes we reach, you know, people don't, know very much what we do we don't publish books we don't right. uh, we basically connect people during our event and um we are um cheerleaders of you know everybody who is in the yeah. publishing industry and also we have a website that is latinxpitch.com and um we have some uh we have an amazing blog is there are a lot of advice there on pitching events and you know so people can cool. learn a little bit more you know to help people do their homework because i believe that everybody who is trying to get into publishing needs to do their own homework our website is a good place to start that's great and we'll make sure again to link all that in the show notes so folks who are listening can can connect with you and with that project i want to shift gears a little bit you you've mentioned part of the revision process is looking at art and and working with illustrators and you've worked with a lot of different illustrators across your projects tell us a little bit about just that process of getting connected with an illustrator and and figuring out who's got the right look for the story that you're trying to tell. When I self-published, because I should say when I started in, in, in publishing, I self-published my first books. I was the one choosing the illustrator, you know, mm -hmm. based on their style and all that. But now I don't self-publish anymore. So I'm, I am in traditional publishing and I have nothing to do with picking the illustrator. Really? 
at all, nothing. No, 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 I don't. I, yeah, no, not at all. I mean, they ask me, what do you think of that? But, you know, I usually have the feeling as, okay, just, you know, I just have to say, hey, I love it. Because there's not, I mean, it's usually the publisher because, you know, they have a budget um, that they have sure. to stick to and, you know, so they do all the negotiations. So they, and honestly, an art director at a publishing company is going to know more than me about, you know, art. Yeah. But they do ask for my opinion. In many of the things that are, for example, cultural, right? Cultural representation with uh, Run Little Chasky. They picked the illustrator. I was thrilled actually when they told me who it was going to be because my namesake, no, Mariana Ruiz Johnson. We have the same uh, name. Yeah. She's a great illustrator from Argentina. She has won many awards. She has published many books. So she's a very, um, she has a lot of experience. So when I learned it was going to be her, I knew the book was going to be in good hands. And um, when they showed me her first um, drawings, it was a little bit shocking at first because the idea that I had in my head was way different. It was more classic. Really? Even though I knew her style, you know, I still kind of like, oh, wow. Okay, so she's making it uh, more fun, you know, and relatable to all kids. I mean, that's good. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm glad they didn't go with what I would have wanted, actually, because um, I think when you look at the book, a kid who is here in Oklahoma or a kid who is in Nigeria or a kid who is in Peru is going to relate to the story because yeah. the illustrations are relatable for children. So they're fun. They're, you know, a lot of vibrant colors and all that. But I I did give uh, my input in some cultural aspects. It is still a collaboration, but it's not that I get to pick the illustrator. And sure. um, with the next book that I'm working on, um, that is called Benita and the Night Creatures, it's a story about some a girl who is a bookworm and she's interrupted by several monsters. But these are monsters from Peruvian culture. So, um, you know, so I'm also giving my input in some of the, you know, some of the details, the cultural details. Sure. That feels like a bit of a relief to just say, I've, I've written the story. Here you go. <laughs> so it's all yours. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, you know, it, it is, of course, it's teamwork. Sure. If they don't do it well, it is my work that is not going to be well taken care of. Right. So, um, but, you know, I've been very, very lucky. All of the editors I've worked with, they've always been concerned about um, a proper representation, about being uh, responsible. And, you know, so, uh, so that's, you know, I feel blessed about that. That's great. We've talked a little bit about different things that, that you're thinking about as you're writing. Tell us a little bit about just your writing process in general. When you sit down to start a story, what does that look like? <laughs> I'm, a, you know, the pantsers and the yes, the planners. Okay, I'm a pantser. I mean, a hundred percent. Yes, totally. So I, you know, I write when the muse visits me, and um, but I am intentional in being inspired all the time. Hmm. You know, so I do uh, activities that keep me inspired. So I always walk. Uh, have nature walks because that inspires me, you know, so yeah. I am very intentional with that. And I listen to music and uh, and watch movies or things that are going to keep me in the right mood to produce more things. And if I'm not writing, I'm reading. I consider that part of my job as well, sure. to read, to make sure that I'm, I am current, but also inspired. So that's, that's important to me because I know that even though I don't write every day, when I write, I'm going to be inspired. It's going to be the right moment when the story is going to come with a lot of heart. So yeah. for me, it's important that my stories have heart. And um, 
I consider that everything we do in life is art, you know, so the way we talk and the way we dance and the way we, you know, the music we listen to and the way we connect with people, everything is artistic. So I try to foster that connection within myself so I can write better. And I usually start with a phrase, you know, with the first line, and then I go from there. Uh, one of my middle grade um, stories, it started with just the first phrase. And then from there, I sat down and said, okay, we'll see what happens. And then I started <laughs> writing. And all of a sudden, it was a novel, you know, so I was, oh, my God. And I was having so much fun writing it. So That's um, great. But I also write under contract. For example, one of the books that I'm writing uh, that I'm uh, publishing next year is called Vampirita, and it is a chapter book series. So I sold the first book that I wrote as a panster, you know, kind of like, ooh, let's see where this takes me. <laughs> but then they, they wanted two more books. So I had to write them, and you cannot be a panster because you are you have a, de- a deadline and right. you have a story to follow. Now, you know, I have the characters and I have to follow a story arc. So I wrote, I, I already finished with the second book of that uh, series and it is amazing. I mean, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I, I was very, very stressed before starting to write because I didn't know how that was going to turn. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, it's done. I did it. And then now I need to start working on the third one of the same series. You mentioned consuming or, or taking in a lot of media, music and movies and things. When you're in that mode, are you focusing on media that is Peruvian or, or Latin or is it a little bit of everything and just see where the, the inspiration comes? It is a little bit of everything. I, I, yeah, I like having like eclectic mix of emotions because I think the human experience is just one. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, um, and that can be translated to any, any culture, but I do a lot of research. If I'm writing something specific to my Peruvian culture for Chasky, for example, I read a lot of grown up books, you know, a lot of big, you know, serious books that, you know, I had to put my adult face on and read <laughs> all of that. And it's fun. I like reading history. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big history nerd, so I loved it. And for any book that I write, I always do a little bit of research. Hmm. And um, yeah, I think that that's important because that's uh, also being respectful to my readers. Well, so you mentioned kind of that, that one human experience, and I want to give you a chance to talk about your virtual field trips, because one of the things that you really make a priority is connecting with kids, not just in Oklahoma or the United States, but around the world. So tell us a little bit about virtual field trips and how that came about and, and what that looks like for you. Well, I started doing virtual field trips years ago, before the pandemic. And uh, there was a platform that I found. Um, it was w- with a Skype, actually, mm-hmm. uh, when Skype was all the rage. So I found Skype in the classroom and I started doing virtual field trips when I was still um uh, a self-published author. And um, I connected with so many classrooms. It was amazing. I visited over 150 schools around the world. Wow. So I would do, you know, some, I've done some schools in India, in Pakistan, in um, Japan, Ireland, Australia, several times, Argentina. I, I mean, all over the world, really. Um, my concern always at first was that they weren't going to understand my accent. <laughs> but I think it was, they had the same concern, you know, so it was fine. It was always fine. You know, it was always, always fine. But what I really loved, for example, I remember this day that I read my my first book called Tristan Wolf. And I, it was in the same day I visited the school in Nigeria and one in Illinois. Oh, wow. And I read the same story. And the kids, 
you know, they laughed at the same parts of the story and they wow. asked me the same questions, you know, so you can tell the kids are kids, whatever in the world they are, you know, so that just fills my heart. And then during the pandemic, I did some virtual visits as well. I did many virtual visits. And uh, right now I'm trying to do some more in-person visits because I love traveling. So it's a great excuse, you know, so right. I love going places and I love being one-to-one -one with children and talking to them and, and, you know, getting to know them. So virtuality is amazing. It's awesome. But I've come to find out that in the last year, kind of like kids are already kind of sick of just, you know, yeah, you know, because it's just too much. It's been too much. So I, I do virtual visits if I, if I have to, but also uh, visits in person. That's great. Before we get to our final questions, I want to ask if you were to give uh, emerging authors who are interested in getting into children's literature a couple of pieces of advice, what would they be? Well, first is um, to read, read a lot, hmm. right? And don't don't be stuck on Dr. Seuss. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I like Dr. Seuss. It's fine. I have several of those books, and my kids read Dr. Seuss when they were little. But but okay, times have changed too. So if you want to break it into publishing, they are not looking for the next Dr. Seuss. That's for yeah. sure. You know, so um, so yeah, so just read books, classic books too. Obviously, you know, it's, it's important. But also books that have been published within the past five years to see what's out there and read a lot on the genre you want to write. Mm. You know, so um, some people want to write picture books, but they are still writing stories that are 2,000 or 3,000 words long. And yeah. that is not a picture book. So you need to learn about the genre you are writing because the publishing industry is all about labels and boxes are and genres. And mm. that's just the way it is, you know? So, um, uh, yeah. So if you want to break into, break it into publishing, learn about the industry and you can join the SCBWI. I belong to the, to that uh, SCBWI in Spanish. We have a group in Spanish, hmm. uh, but there's also, you know, the local Oklahoma chapter. Um, we have meetings every month. So it is very important to network with the community of other writers and to find your people. Okay. So let's get into our final questions. What's a genre that you love to read and give us a couple of uh, recommendations for books or authors? Well, I like, uh, I like reading middle grade. <laughs> I love reading children's books. So I love reading middle grade and the last one, uh, well, the, Two authors, Donna Barba Higuera. Her last book is called The Last Cuentista, and it's amazing. It's mm. sci-fi, Latino sci-fi. It's amazing. And then I love all the work of Margarita Ingall. She's a Cuban-American um, writer, too. She writes middle grade and YA, uh, especially verse novels. And I love um, her latest book that is Mm, a Song of Elephants. Oh, maybe I'm saying the title. I'm sure I'm saying the title wrong, <laughs> but it is an amazing, amazing, amazing book. But everything that she writes is just gold. So yeah, look for them. Uh, Latino sci-fi is not a phrase that I hear very often. So that's really, I'm, I'm now fascinated by what that, what that looks like. That's very cool. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So that's, you know, that was, uh, that's a really good uh, observation, actually. I, I hope to write in that genre too. Oh, cool. Know? Yes, yes, because I love sci-fi, so why not, you know, send some empanadas to outer space, right? I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. If there are empanadas there, I am in. That sounds great. Right. <laughs> Second question then, what's an early experience that informed your writing life? Well, I grew up uh, reading the classic classic books, and I grew up reading everything that just fell into my hands. Hmm. So uh, my parents were my first 
informers. Uh, they were big readers. They modeled reading. And for any parents who are listening, well, I'm sure that your audience are all, you know, people who read, right? But, um, <laughs> no, but I like telling people that if you want your kids to read, model reading. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just like with everything. So model reading for me was my parents modeling reading and um, and not putting any restrictions on the books that I read. So I was reading things that were very inappropriate, actually, you know, (laughs) you know, but, you know, I I didn't understand most of the things, to be honest with you. I mean, it it was just the stories that capture me, you know, some things I think was. Um, in cold blood, you know, I was a little, wow. so yeah, I was, I didn't know, but I liked the story and there were so many things that, I, that I wasn't capturing at the moment. Sure. You know, so, yeah. How did that then translate into writing? Cause you said you've, you've always written since you were very young. Well, um, my, my early poems were very dramatic. That's how it translated. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably were, true of all of us. Those early teenage angst poems are. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even a teen. I was eight or nine. And I was oh, wow. writing about death and, you know, the <laughs> lust of love. And, you know, I mean, yeah, some crazy stuff that I would read in poems, you know. So in this big grown-up poetry or books, uh, so right. I learned big words and I used them. And, yeah, so that that's how <laughs> that's how it started. <laughs> Last question then. If you could have a meal with one character from fiction, who would it be and what would you talk about? Well, I'm going to go classic. And I'm going to say Juliet. Hmm. And uh, I've loved Shakespeare since, since I was a kid. You know, those are the base stories for all of the stories that we, you know, read yeah. today. Right. So, yeah. So I would ask her, why would she die for this? For- <laughs> <laughs> I would try to kind of change her mind. To, you know, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, we can talk to Romeo as well, you know, see maybe they have options, you know. <laughs> yes. Get them together around the table and help them figure things out. Yeah, exactly. And say, hey, you know what? This is just first love. There's going to be more in life. Come on. (laughs) They can write some dramatic poems about it and then move on. Exactly. Exactly. That's how you do it. (laughs) Before we go, how can people connect with uh, you online? You've mentioned social media and your website. Give us all those details. Yes, I'm I'm on social media and all of the media that there is. Yeah, I'm there. I'm on Twitter, basically, um, uh, Mariana Llanos. At, my handle is at Mariana Llanos. And on Facebook, at Mariana Llanos Books. And um, I'm also on Instagram, too. And Mariana Writes the World. And my website is marianallanos.com. And whenever you want to connect, or ask a question or just be friends, you know, I'll be more than happy. I love, love connecting with, with readers and with other writers. And we'll make sure all of that's connected, as we said a couple of times in the show notes, so that folks can find you and connect and see uh, your great work and also just all the other things that you're doing as you're working with other writers and with kids and all the great things that are part of, of what you're doing. Uh, Mariana, it has been so great to to meet you and get to sit down with you today. I, I appreciate the time and I I love the work that you're doing. I mentioned that uh, my daughter-in-law is an elementary school teacher who is also from Peru. Uh, and so your work uh, just connects with her in some really cool and special ways. So thank you so much. It's been great talking with you today. Thank you so much. It was also my pleasure to be here and to meet you, Jay. You do a great work, you know, um, promoting writers and their work and just being a champion of literature. So thank you. Thank you. I love the idea that kids from all over the world are learning about new cultures from engaging Mariana's work. If you have children or grandchildren or work with young kids, I can't recommend her books highly enough.
Speaking of recommendations, I'm really excited to introduce our reviewer for this episode because she's someone I've known most of my life. June Coleman is a retired language arts teacher from Yukon. June has always wanted to write a book and was inspired to do so after reading a Fred Rogers quote that said, let some word that is heard be yours. So she did just that in releasing her debut Christian children's book, Introducing Joyful Lee, for ages five to nine. Her purpose is to promote reading and show children what forgiveness and grace look like in a world that's somewhat lacking in both. June says we are never too old to change our trajectory, but we have to be willing to step way out of our comfort zones. June is reviewing a book by another debut author, 96 Miles by J.L. Esplin. 96 Miles by J.L. Esplin. Winner of the Nevada Young Readers Award, 96 Miles is Esplin's debut novel. Growing up in a family of six children and the daughter of a Secret Service agent, Esplin's dad was passionate about family preparedness and self-reliance, especially in the case of a natural disaster. As with most authors, Esplin writes about what her father instilled in her from childhood. Survival. A suspenseful adventure book, 96 Miles is the story of two young boys, John and Stuart, who find themselves alone after a total blackout while living in the desert of rural Nevada. Despite their preparedness for such a catastrophe, after 21 days, John, the oldest brother, decides the two boys need to leave their home for Brighton Ranch in hopes of reconnecting with their father. The trip along this desolate highway is 96 miles. With backpacks and water, the boys plan to complete this journey in just three days on foot. John remembers his dad's survival tips and one that caught my attention quickly. It is the first line in this page turner. Dad always says, if things get desperate, it's okay to drink the water in the toilet bowl. Early in their trek, the boys meet up with Cleverly and Will, two other young people who are hungry and alone. Traveling together, food and water, meant for two, is now divided among four. Told in first person, this engaging and thought-provoking story addresses the love and friction between siblings and the issue of preparedness in an emergency. Like a modern-day hatchet, it would be a great read-aloud in a classroom. This book is filled with danger and believable obstacles that older children and adults both will find hard to put down. That's it for Chapter 31 of the Okie Bookcast. Huge thanks to Mariana Lanos and June Coleman for being a part of the show. If you're enjoying the show, would you be willing to take a second to leave a rating and review on the app where you're listening right now? Those reviews bring more attention to the show and help the audience continue to grow. I'll be back in a couple of weeks to finish out 2022 with another great guest and review. Until then, I hope you're enjoying the holidays and be sure to make time to find something good to read.